Well, we continue today uh, in our study of Colossians, uh, our second message in this series. And, uh, you know, Colossians is a, is a short book, obviously, and it's easy to read through it uh, com- in completion without having to stop. And uh, that's a good suggestion. You might want to keep doing that as we go through this, this time. But even though it's a small book, it's certainly powerful in content. Um, It constantly and consistently points to Christ as central, sufficient, and supreme. Colossians 3.11, I mentioned last week, is a key verse, and and I'm kind of holding on to that as our theme for this, uh, this study. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Last week in the introductory section, uh, we focused on rejoicing in the good news of Christ, and today we'll continue to rejoice in this good news as we realize the wonder of Christ. So uh, I'd like to read uh, today's passage, Colossians 1, reading verse 15 through 23, and I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made made the things we can, can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. What a rich passage. And so as we look at this today, um, we're going to find that... uh, there's just an amazing wonder in Christ. We sang about him already today, and uh, I just was thrilled as we were singing those words, uh, looking forward to reading and getting into this passage. In your Bibles, you probably note that uh, verses 15 to 20 are, are inset and appear as a poem or, or a special writing. Uh, most scholars believe that this was a hymn or statement of faith that was known among early Christians. It may have been written by Paul, we don't know for sure, or it might have been just included by him as something that had been written before. The intention of a statement like this, it was for it to be repeated, 
to be memorized, uh, to maintain proper belief. And that is that Christ is sufficient and supreme in all things. Not Christ plus this or that, but, but Christ alone. We sang about that in Christ alone, right? Uh, it, it's appropriate we sing that. I mean, this is the truth. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And, and one of my favorite hymns, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now this hymn that Paul has here, guides us to some very deep and defining truths about Christ. Truths that are life-changing for us as we trust in Him. First, it states that Christ is the visible image of God. God is spirit and took on human form in Jesus. And if we want to know what God looks like in our world and, and who He is and how He acts, look at Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read these words, In the beginning the Word already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became human and made His home among us. And then it goes on to say, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is Himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus one time was talking with his disciples, and they were talking about, of course, who he is, and he had mentioned that, of course, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and uh, the way to the Father. And P Philip says to Jesus in John 14, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied with this, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, you know, Philip gets kind of a bad name there, but, but aren't we all kind of in the same place, right? I mean, we know Jesus through our faith in Him. We know Him through the Word of God. We know Him through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives, but, but still we have questions to Him about who He is and who the Father is and all of these things. So it's so important to get back to what we read here in the Word of God. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Christ is the exact likeness of God. In this passage in Colossians, we see the wonder of the incarnation. Jesus, who became man, has existed before anything was created. He is eternal. Only God's eternal. Well, He is God. Jesus is man, but He's also God. He, we see the eternal God by seeing Him. The eternal God has come to us. What an amazing truth. And He also is supreme over all creation. Now, some of your translations say firstborn over all creation. Okay? Uh, the Greek word, by the way, I, I'm certainly not a, a Greek expert. I, I know how to read what other people say about Greek words, okay? And I have studied it, okay? Miserably so, but I have studied it, all right. <laughs> but the Greek word here is prototokos. Isn't that a cool word? Prototokos. Sounds good. Now, what's it mean, right? <laughs> okay. By the way, this word is rarely used in the New Testament. 
But it's used frequently in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in that, it's used mainly about the firstborn sons in the Old Testament. It's intended to mean more than birth order, not just that they're firstborn, but it's their status. It's a focus on position of supremacy. And so the idea here is that Christ, even though born as a baby here on earth, does not have a beginning or end. He's not firstborn in a sense like you and I are firstborn. We're just born here. But he is eternal in existence. He's the first. He's the beginning. And as the New Living Translation, which I like what it does with this, because it kind of clarifies that, it says that he is Excuse me, I just lost my spot. (laughs) I don't want to say the wrong thing. (laughs) Yeah, that he is supreme. He is supreme over all creation. It's a great translation. You know, he is, he's first in the sense that he's supreme. There's nobody like him. He's the one and only. So that's the idea there. One commentator states it this way. I love, I love this. He was before all creation in time and is above all creation in rank. That's a good, good statement. His eternal nature and supremacy is stated again in verse 17 where it says, He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. If Jesus was not in charge... We would be all out of sorts. We think we're out of sorts as it is. But he holds it all together. He's going to bring it all together too. All right, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. The physical and the personal things of our life, Jesus is able to hold it all together. And he does. Now, In uh, the physical world, he does it. We don't even think about it, but he does it. He holds it together. In the personal world, he wants to, and he's able to, but we don't always let him. So the encouragement here is, remember who he is. (laughs) Don't keep being in such a stir. Don't, Don't try to run your own life. Let him hold it together. He is sufficient and supreme. And so that leads us to our next point, and that is that everything is created through Him and for Him, as is stated in verse 16. In John chapter 1, verse 3, we read, God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were all involved in creation jesus you know as i said at christmas time he he decided who his earthly mother would be he created all things you know he's just not a human being he is god amazing i appreciate the what richard chin says in his book captivated by christ about this He says, God didn't create the world because he was lonely or because he needed somebody to love. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been in perfect loving relationship with each other since before time began. 
Every created thing, including you and me, is the overflow of God's love for His Son. Everything visible, including you and me, was made for Jesus as an overflow of the Father's love for the Son. You know, that concept really grabbed me this week. Everything is created for Jesus and through Jesus. I am. You are. You're not by an accident at all. You're God's creation out of His love for Christ. But we ignore often our purpose. We ignore our reason for being here. And we will never find it unless Jesus is the key to it all. Amen? Yeah. It's deep, but it's not. It's real. It's right where we are. It's who He is in us. It's the truth. And it sets us free. Yeah. This passage states that this creative power, His involvement in creation includes the heavenly realms and on earth. Now certainly, heavenly realms can include what we see. You know, the stars, the, as far as you can see. Uh, my grandson just got a telescope, you know, he's trying to see a little more than we can see with the naked eye, you know. It's pretty cool to see some of those pictures that come back to us from space, way out there. I mean, isn't the universe overwhelming? And that's just what we can see. <laughs> they say that, how many universes are there? And oh my goodness, it's just all amazing, beyond our ability to see in the physical. But think about it. There's also what we can't see in the spiritual. And this passage says that, that he has been involved in creating all these things, the things we can see and the things that we can't see, which the next line says, things such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. I'm so encouraged by that word because you know we can be afraid of the things we don't see when i was a little kid i was afraid that when i went down into the basement that there was something there i couldn't see that was going to get me so i would go down and i would whistle or i would sing i'm not sure what good that did yeah yeah, I mean, the, the unseen can really get to you. But Jesus sees it all. And Jesus not only sees it all, He made it all. And He not only made it all, but He has authority over it all. That's an amazing truth for us to find peace, rest, confidence, strength in whatever we're facing day by day. In Him. Not in ourselves, but in Him. You know, Paul writes about these things we can't see in Ephesians 6 12 and he says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places I don't always think about that but there's stuff going on I don't see there's stuff going on you don't see it's affecting you. It's affecting the way we do see everything else, but we don't see it, and so we don't think about it. But in our lives as believers, 
These are real battles that are going on. I was just talking today to someone about a friend who is going through some tough times and they just, they just made a decision of, of stepping out in faith for some significant things. And I thought, you know, there's a battle going on here. There's a battle. And, and, and the good news is Jesus is in charge. And even though it looks like there might be a loss or a, a delay or, or something like that, you know what? He's got it. Our hope is not in our ability for us to fight it, right? But in the one who can see it to fight it. Yeah. And we have seen him. I mean, we haven't seen him visually. People did. <laughs> Paul wrote this, saw him on the road, remember? I mean, and, and so he's talking about the real person of Jesus, the real Son of God, the one who does see all these other things, who has all power and all ability to handle them and help us through. But not only does he take care of them? It's kind of interesting to think about this, that these things, that even our enemies, were made for Jesus and through Jesus. So God's got a purpose even in these things that seem to be enemies and against us. That, that's a deep truth that's hard to grasp completely. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus in his full authority over all these things will bring them all together for his glory. That even which is against God will someday come under His authority and will glorify Him. The things that seem to be our enemies in our spiritual lives, God will turn around to bring Himself glory. Have you ever seen it in your life? I've seen that. Sometimes the things that seem to be kind of on the negative, God somehow takes that and brings glory to Himself through it. Changing you and me. <laughs> That's one of the things He does with it. Yeah. But ultimately, it's all for Jesus. He has full authority. He will bring it all together. He has defeated the devil and death at the cross. He, his blood is sufficient and his sacrifice is complete. And even though we don't have real awareness of what is happening in the unknown realms, Jesus does. And he and he says to trust him. He says to come to him. He says to bring it all to him. You see, our confidence is in him. Now, that's the first part of the poem or the hymn. This really has kind of two stanzas, two parts, okay? And so the second moves in here at this point as we go to verse 18, and that is that Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. He's the head. We are the body. The head. You really can't live without your head. Some of us act like we're living without our head sometimes, you know, kind of out of our head, or <laughs> you got to get your head working. <laughs> Maybe it fell asleep or something, I don't know. But, but sometimes in the church we kind of live headless, and we get in big trouble when we do. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the life of the church. He's the decision maker, right? He, he's the nerve center, and he has total authority. Let, let's remember that. Whatever we do, whatever you're doing as 
part of the body of Christ. Remember that you are subservient to the all-sufficient supreme one. (laughs) That he's got to be in charge if it's really going to be the way it's supposed to be. I mean, he'll let you do it your own way, but then you get what you get. (laughs) And it doesn't really amount to much. Doesn't amount to anything, matter of fact. But we are the parts, though. Certainly he's the head, but we are the parts that he directs and that carry out his wishes. Every one of us who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior are a part to do his will and to show him to the world. And so for the body to function well, we must allow the head to lead. We must allow him to be who he is, the supreme one, the first over everything. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, it says here in this passage. There's nothing without him. There's no victory over death without him. The church has eternal life by him, through him, because of him, and in him. There's no other way. No matter what the culture says, no matter what somebody that's got their own kind of agenda says, Jesus is all, and all is in him. He is the only way. He said it, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Might sound narrow, but you know what? If it's true, you better be on that path. It's the only way. I'm talking to the choir. I see a lot of heads up and down, but boy, we need to be refreshed in that because there's a lot of pounding from the world we see and the world we don't see the other way. And the church, the church lives in the midst of his victory because the fullness of God lives in Christ. Now listen to this. God can only be satisfied through himself. God can only be satisfied through himself. You and I cannot satisfy God's demand for holiness because we cannot produce it on our own. We're fallen. I mean, you you can try, and, and we all try. We all try to be good. Trying to be good, trying to be good. Your kids are trying to be good. You got to keep working on them. (laughs) It's not happening. Yeah, we just don't have what it takes to satisfy a holy God. That's a dilemma. But it's not a dilemma that hasn't been solved. That's what this good news is, right? That's why we have Jesus. The fullness of God lives in Christ. Our fallenness makes it impossible for us to satisfy His holiness without His intervention. But He has intervened, and Christ is the solution. That's another one of those S words. I could have lots of them today, right? He's a sacrifice. He's sufficient. He's supreme. He's the solution. Our solution. Because He is the fullness of God. The perfect holiness of God is Him. And so as He dies for you and me, as He gives Himself for you and me, that is the satisfaction that's necessary to the Holy God. And it's on our behalf. And through faith, 
that holiness of Christ becomes yours. And you are acceptable to the holy God because of receiving the sacrifice of His Son. That's the gospel. Never get tired of saying it because it's the only way of salvation. And it's the power of God for all who believe to make you His child. Because of Jesus. Hey, when we were at our most desperate place, there was Jesus. And when you're living every day in the midst of everything that you face, there's Jesus. He hasn't left us alone. He's come to us. And we are all reconciled through Him. He's paid our debt in full. Only He can do that because of who He is. There's no other way for our sin to be forgiven and washed away. We cannot do it on our own. And as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, that even though we were dead because of our sins, God gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And that is because of what it says here in this passage, that He has made peace by His blood on the cross. The cross, the Roman instrument of execution, became the means of peace with God. God turned the tables. Peace was made. It was brought or bought, excuse me, and brought at a great price. Romans 5:1 says it this way: We have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. This hymn, this poem reminds us, keeps us on track that it's all Jesus. That He is supreme. That He is sufficient. That He is the way. That He is God's provision. He is God Himself. He has created everything that is. He is able to do all that we cannot do. He is the one who knows it all. He is the one we can trust. He is the one that will take you through. He is the one that you can trust in every moment of life, no matter what it seems like, no matter how difficult it might be for you. He is the one. Now, at this point, the passage leaves the uh, hymn and the song and really kind of goes to an application of what has been said. And this application points to all of us personally. Now, as it says here, this is not just to be, in, be intellectual information that we kind of collect and say, that's nice, I believe it, okay. But it's rather for us to know the impact of Christ for us as believers. Because the love of God for Christ that is stated in this passage also is the love of God for us through Christ. For He has brought us in. He has brought us in. And in verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. We who were once enemies are now without fault. Wow, what a wonderful truth. 
We were far away from God. You know, I think that it's important for us to be reminded of the fact that we were totally lost without Christ. And by the way, if you haven't come to that place, that's an important place for you to be. You, before you can come to really know Christ as your Savior, you've got to realize that you yourself do not have the capacity to come to God because you actually are His enemy. You actually are dead in your sins. You might be living and doing everything and you think, well, that's no problem. And that's, that's part of the problem we have in our lostness that we don't even realize we're lost many times. But you're here today. <laughs> and the Spirit of God works as His Word is spoken and as we pray. And, and the Spirit of God speaks to your heart. And I trust that He might speak to some of you today. And let you know that you're lost. You're an enemy of God. I mean, you're, you're, you're a nice person. We, we like you. I mean, you have other friends. But you know, we've got to realize who we really are in order to find God in His great love for us. And the great news is that that isn't the end of the story. <laughs> that even though we are enemies of God, even though we are lost in our sins, even though we cannot save ourselves, He has done it for us. And that's what we just talked about through that whole section about who Christ is. And so this is good news. And you can, if you never have, by faith, receive this one who has given himself for you. This one who loves you. This one who has taken your sins upon himself. And as we do, as we receive him by faith, he brings us in to the family. He brings us into a place that we could never get on our own. He brings us into a place of holiness and forgiveness and cleansing that we could never achieve on our own. He, he makes us right with God, not only now, but forever. And that's astonishing. But it's true. He didn't leave us where we were. He came to us and reconciled that which was wrong through the death of Christ. And so it says here, he's brought us into his presence and he's made us holy and blameless and that we are without a single fault. And this is how we are to think as a result of this. Now, by the way, it certainly is often not how we behave, right? <laughs> Anybody still have some faults in your life? Yeah, I hear that giggle. Yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, we got them. Yeah. So what does it mean? I mean, you still got some faults. Well, it means that God sees you without fault. It means that your standing with Him because of Jesus is without fault. And it means that you need to be thinking that way even as you wrestle with your faults. <laughs> because you are not who you were. And you don't have to be who you are tomorrow. God still is going to change you and help you become more and more like Jesus. That's his plan for you. For the fact that he loves Jesus and that love is going to come through you and change you for the glory of him. And we're in the midst of it. I hope you're changing. It's important to change, isn't it? Especially if you're a baby with a dirty diaper. Sometimes we're walking around with dirty diapers. We need to get them changed. And God's good at changing. We smell better. Yeah. 
Christ has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And as we think this way, we will become more like him. And this is what Paul writes. He says that we must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. We have it. But we need to keep believing that. We need to keep trusting in Him. You know, uh, it says later in this passage in Colossians, in this book, and and we'll get to it, but just as you received Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. It's a great verse in there. And um, I've always been struck by that truth that how did I receive Jesus as Lord? I, 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 I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm lost. I, I'm desperate. I, I can't save myself. Thank you for dying for me and, and receive him. Jesus, I, I need you. Come into my life. How do I walk with him? Same thing. Right? Every day I, I really kind of need to be in that same mind, mindset, that, that same perspective. Jesus, I, I, need, I need you as much today as I did then. Matter of fact, I need you every day. And even though you've already saved me and you've already forgiven my sins, I still need to receive you and allow you to be Lord of my life today so that you will make my life what God intends it to be. So we need to keep believing. We need to stand firm in this truth, not to wander. You know, it's easy to kind of get wandering. I mean, there's all kind of lies around us. There's all kind of things going on. And we have questions. And so I just want to say, don't follow your questions, but follow the truth. I have talked to many people over the years who have known the truth and then begin to have questions, and what they do is they begin to follow their questions. There is no hope there. Because your mind is limited (laughs) Your mind will take you places that you shouldn't go. (laughs) You ever know that? Yeah. So what does he say? Hey, don't go there. Continue to believe this truth. Don't believe anything else. And you know, others I see that I've talked to have often moved into strange practices assault emotional experiences in order to feel assured i've been tempted there myself i must confess but you know something true assurance is found in believing in jesus (laughs) not in some strange experience not not in some extra thing that maybe we have to do to kind of really get the real Christian experience, you know, this extra thing or this TV guy that's got some kind of special thing. And if you'll just send $19.95 a month, you'll get it for sure. But anyhow, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not something more. And it's not just believing in general that he's talking about here, right? It's about having faith in Christ, in someone, not something. And Paul affirms this truth to them by declaring that this continues to be preached throughout the world. It's kind of interesting he concludes this section with saying that. I I, I really believe that he's saying this. Dear friends, the good news is prevailing and will prevail. It's going to keep being preached until Jesus comes again. And he's going to reign, and you need to have your belief in the truth and really be 
clinging to him and him clinging to you and, and even as brian is pre- teaching about revelation and all the craziness coming you know hey we have our hope in christ in christ alone the good news also is not changing it is eternal this good news that Paul preached and Paul wrote about is still the same good news that we're preaching today. And it's still the way of salvation. It's still the transforming power of God. And the gospel will be preached to the whole earth and then the end will come. It's happening, friends. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Paul, who's writing this, is one who tried to stop the good news. When he was that pre-Christian Pharisee, that was what he did, and he thought he was really right. I mean, he was really sincere about that. Killing Christians, holding the coats for those who stoned Stephen. On his way to kill some more and shut down some other Christian gatherings. And guess what? Jesus met him on that road. He fell. He lost his eyesight. He, Lord, Lord, you know, what what are you doing? He called him Lord. He realized that this was the one that he had been persecuting. That this was God himself who was coming to him. And now here we find the persecutor as the preacher. Might be true of many of you here today. Because that is who you were once. And even maybe if you didn't verbalize it, you really weren't on, the, on God's side. You were on your side or somebody else's side or something else. But boy, what a difference in your life. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You're being transformed. You're not who you were. And who is it all because of? Jesus. There's no other way. The power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So, what are our takeaways today? I got three for you. Maybe you have some more. That's okay. I say that every week. Whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to you, make sure you listen. Okay, I, it's all right with me if you don't listen to me. Listen to Him. All right. Okay. First of all, Christ can fill your spiritual needs and direct your daily lives. He can and He will. He is everything. There's no other way to true life. He's Savior and Lord. He's creator and sustainer. He can handle you and all that you are and all that you face, the stuff that you're not sure how to get through. He can handle it. Christ alone. Go to Him. Trust in Him. Allow Him to do what He wants to do. Even if you don't understand. I appreciate that song we sang. You know, I don't get it. But he's still there. I don't even know he's there, but he's still there. I'm searching. I'm struggling. I don't feel these things. He's still there. I'm still trusting him, friends, even when I don't feel it. And that's what's taken me through. And that's what will take me through. And that's what will take us all through. Don't stop believing. You probably think of that song. I think about that, too, when that comes to my mind. It's a lot better than that song. (laughs) 
A second takeaway, be aware that other ideas will always be around that can lead us away from Christ. Uh, when this letter was written, there were many false teachings, and we'll see throughout the letter that he doesn't specifically point to them, but you can tell by the way that Paul's writing that he's concerned that they could fall into something that wouldn't be true. It's still true today. In that day, there was the belief that Jesus was not all that we read about here, that he really wasn't human or that he really wasn't God. And there were those who preached that there was more needed than just faith in Christ's work on the cross. Still true today. Be careful of those things. Don't go there. Even when your own mind might raise questions, even when thoughts come into your mind and questions that you can't answer, even when others put you down or disrespect you for your belief in Christ, continue to believe. And finally, remember who He is and what He has done for you. What's the appropriate response to that? Thank Him. Love Him. Tell Him you love Him. Praise Him. Focus on Him. Call out His name. The name of Jesus. Hmm. He is supreme. He is first in everything. He is the visible image of God. And everything was created through Him and for Him. He died for you, and He is risen. He is bringing us eternal life, and He has reconciled us to God and made peace through His blood. What more could you possibly need or want? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's pray. Jesus, that wonderful name, that beautiful name, that powerful name, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are God. You created all things. All things created through you and for you. You are the visible, perfect image, complete image of God. We see who the invisible, spiritual God is because you are Him in flesh. We adore You. We thank You. We praise You. We give our lives afresh to You. For You alone are Lord. You are the head of the church. You are all wisdom. You are all power. You will help us through whatever it is we're facing. Help us, Lord, to not look other places. But thank you that even there, you're in the other places. <laughs> you're in the other places we can't see. And what seems overwhelming is not overwhelming to you. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you that you're humble in heart, Jesus. That you don't, you don't come in a way that's oppressive or accusing. But you come and you say, come to me. 
You're tender. You're merciful. You're peaceful. You're gentle. You're loving. You're kind. You are all that we desire. And we love you. In your precious name. Amen.